This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Tonight in the Word of God, let's go to the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5 here in just a few moments. Galatians chapter 5. Let me mention a few books at the table. There is a book on the table called The Anger of the King. We've sung a couple of times uh, uh, this week about uh, propitiation, God's wrath being satisfied uh, in uh, Jesus. My wife just sang a, a phrase that dealt with that. That's what the, uh, the title here is dealing with. The author is Jonathan Bishop. It says here J.B. Shepherd. That's his pen name. He is a missionary in Jordan learning the language of Arabic. He's doing quite well with it. Preached his first sermon in Arabic the other day. He's headed to the country of Yemen. Yemen. Uh, he, uh, he really has a passion for the Lord, understands an uh, amazing amount of truth, especially for his age. This is an allegory on salvation. He's got a, a sequel coming out on the spirit-filled life uh, that I'm very excited about. It's written, it's aimed at youth, but I'm going to tell you, I was riveted <laughs> when I read it. Uh, beautifully done, uh, an allegorical form, uh, so that's available on the back table. And then uh, last night, we uh, were dealing with the fact that uh, uh, we need to have that right response to God's truth. And we talked about the faith response. There's a book on the table with that title. Because uh, faith is a response. When God stirs, then you know it's his will. And God wants us to respond, and that's when he enables. And so we go into that uh, truth in the first chapter. The second chapter goes into defining faith. Uh, what faith is. And then it moves into how faith operates. There's a whole chapter on possessing facts which is different from the next chapter on obtaining promises. That's an amazing distinction. And then uh, there's a couple of chapters on the prayer of faith from James 5 and a final chapter on the increase of faith. What does that mean? Fascinating truth. And so there's, uh, uh, that book is available as well. Well, tonight, Galatians chapter 5 in the Word of God tonight. Good to see you on this Wednesday night as we continue on in this progression of truth. When there is a, an understanding of our provision and a right response with that Jesus way of thinking, not my will, but his, uh, not our ability, but his, then that moves us into a walk. And we're going to see that word here in just a moment. Galatians is an amazing book. It starts out in chapter 1 uh, confronting the dangers of perverting the gospel. And you know, when you have a church that has faithfully preached the word of God and faithfully preached the gospel, and then someone comes in and preaches in a way that makes saved people doubt their salvation so that they get saved again, which of course is impossible, something got twisted. God says, don't do that. And it's not just the gospel of what we might call initial salvation, but it's also the gospel of what we might call full salvation. We see that phrase used in many of our songs. And so uh, in chapter 2, we have a confrontation that takes place. And uh, Peter did not speak wrong words, but by his associations, he gave credence to a wrong way of thinking, and Paul withstood him to the face. It's recorded for us in Galatians 2. Halfway through verse 14 is where the confrontation starts and goes all the way down to verse 21. Now what's fascinating about that confrontation is you have one of the greatest verses on justification by grace through faith. That's Galatians 2.16. And then one of the greatest verses on sanctification by grace through faith. That's Galatians 2.20. Both are in the confrontation. In other words... He's dealing with both aspects of the gospel. Don't frustrate grace by getting off focus. Keep that focus on Jesus. 
And so he moves into chapter 3 and verse 1 and says, Oh, foolish Americans. I mean Galatians. <laughs> he says, Who has bewitched you? Who in the world has put a spell on you? That ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You had your eyes on Jesus. Who put a spell on you to take your eyes off of Jesus? Because that's exactly what happens in the Galatian era. And he goes on to say, He received you the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. And of course, the answer is the hearing of faith. And he says, Are you so uh, foolish, having begun in the Spirit, which was by faith? Are you now made perfect or mature by the flesh through self-effort? And so he confronts that. And he uh, continues on and points out that the law is a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. But then he says, and everybody, it's fascinating to me, that verse is quoted often, it should be, it's a great verse, but then the next verse is missed. But then he says, but when faith has come, you're no longer under that tutor. Because chapter 4, verse 6, the Holy Spirit moves in. Now you have a new leader, a person. And so you come to chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You see, liberty is the way of faith in Christ alone. Not just salvation, but the entire Christian life. And he says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to law focus that produces self-effort. No, keep your focus on Jesus and the liberty of the way of faith in Christ alone. On the other hand, he says, verse 13, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion or an opportunity to the flesh. So he's, he's going after that law focus, that legal kind of focus, style uh, sanctification, but he's also going after the license or relativistic style approach as well. Both are wrong. Both get us off of Jesus. And then he says, but by love, serve one another. The word love has come up in the prayer meeting tonight and in the service it came up twice. We sang it. Lost in his goodness, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Friends, we're going to see love in this passage because when you get to Jesus, God is love and love comes out. And so now verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. <laughs> they had problems too in their day. <laughs> and we do still today. Verse 16, now we come to our text. <laughs> Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Walk. See, we're going to move from that initial response that we saw last night to where God wants that to go, to, to a walk. Walk in the Spirit, in the sphere of the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to, to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Have you ever sensed that battle between your flesh side and the spirit side? Okay, now look at verse 18. Here's a shocking statement. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Whoa, that's got to mean something, folks. What does it mean? We'll come back to it. Verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, this is obvious. 
They're manifest, which are these. He starts with moral sins, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Then he moves to religious sins, idolatry, witchcraft. Then he moves to uh, relationship sins, hatred, variance, that's contentions, emulations, that's jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, that's dissensions, heresies, that's schisms, envyings, that's quite a list there on the relationship issues. Then he moves to social sins, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And then we have an interesting phrase in the inspired text, and such like. In other words, if you have a Bible and you have the Holy Spirit, you ought to be able to apply this and be on target. And such like. Then he says, this is often misunderstood, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not, now notice this word, inherit the kingdom of God. So some say, well, see, if you're doing these things, you're not saved. Well, then nobody's saved. Because envy's in the list too. And strife. And it's all a part of things that happen in our lives. That's not what it says. It does not say shall not enter the kingdom of God. We believe in verbal inspiration. The word enter is what you have in John 3. It's the word inherit here. In fact, it's fascinating. We have a parallel text in Ephesians 5 that switches from the future tense verb here uh, with the negative not and goes to the present tense of the verb to be with the noun inheritance. In other words, in Ephesians it's say, saying that when you cave into this stuff, you're not having your inheritance. In other words, when you walk after your flesh, you're missing out on life in the spirit. You're missing out on your inheritance right now, which will affect your inheritance in the kingdom. But it's not talking about entering. It's talking about inheritance. Much more could be said. Verse 22. But, oh, this is great. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. That's an amazing statement of fact. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, verse 16 says, walk in the Spirit. Verse 25 says, walk in the Spirit. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And it's describing for us, when you get your focus, when you keep your focus on Jesus, it produces a fruitful walk. And so tonight, let's deal with the fruitful walk. And again, let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher. Lord, we thank you, Lord, uh, that we can look to you night after night. And Lord, you never tire. Uh, to open our eyes, to give us understanding, to strengthen us in body, to strengthen us in mind, Lord, to strengthen us in spirit, to receive all that you have for us. The Spirit of God, bear witness with our spirit tonight with truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes in a way that nurtures faith and Lord, furthers us down the road of a genuine walk in the spirit and this fruit manifestation. And so, Lord, may this become very vibrant to all of us. I do plead again the victory of Jesus through the shed blood. Protect us from the enemy and his deceptions. Knock out deceptions tonight. May we embrace the truth. May Jesus be honored. We thank you in Jesus' name. Lord, help us. Amen.
I remember when I was in college, I was reading through the book of Galatians in this verse 16. I'd read it before, but the promise part of it came alive to me. It says, walk in the spirit, and here's the promise part. And she shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I'm sitting there, 19, 20 years old, and I'm thinking, man, look at that. Wow, what a promise. Uh, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I thought, man, that is phenomenal. So I'm sitting there looking at it, thinking, you know, I wonder what it means to walk in the Spirit. And I wondered what it meant to walk in the Spirit for years. Now, it doesn't have to take years. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does the Bible mean when it says the fruit of the Spirit? How do the two connect? Now, we're going to see tonight that walking in the Spirit accesses the fruit of the Spirit. But what is that fruit and what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Tonight, as we look at this text, I want us to consider seven clarifications that I trust will answer these two major questions. First of all, when it comes to this matter of the fruit of the Spirit, we're dealing with what we might call a singular plurality. You say, well, now that sounds like a contradiction. I know, it's called an oxymoron. Now, that's not a person. It's two words that are put together that seem like they contradict, but to, you know, convey something like the seafood restaurant, jumbo shrimp. <laughs> uh, there we have it. Uh, that's an oxymoron. And that's what I mean when I say a singular plurality. Uh, we could say a collective singular. Uh, let's jump to the obvious part of this, the plurality. This is in verse 22 and verse 23. We have uh, some words here, some graces mentioned. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and it starts with the word love. Now, I believe, since 1 John tells us God is love, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that the other eight words, the other eight graces are the manifestations of that love. But however you slice it, it starts with love. Now, this is the word agape. I'm sure you're familiar with that term. It's that highest form of love. It's that love that is uh, that unconditional love, the, the love that, uh, wherewith Christ loves us. It is that love that does right even when you're wronged. I remember I was in a meeting in Minneapolis, and the pastor called me, and he said, hey, I just got a phone call. Uh, some parents of kids in our Christian school, uh, he said, they're not in our church, but they... Uh, kids go to our school. He said, they, they, they are believers. He said, but they're having a big fight right now. They've asked me to come over. He said, would you like to go with me? <laughs> well, you know, uh, okay. I guess I'm always in for a fight. Uh, but uh, we got over there, and I'm going to tell you, it was still going. You know, and I saw and heard stuff I'd never seen and heard before in my life. I never saw it in my home. My parents were not perfect, but I never saw this. The venom. The daggers. They're just vomiting out stuff on each other. Two words. Well, finally, when they came up for air, I spoke to the husband. He claimed to know the Lord. I mentioned Ephesians 5. I said, look, you know, the Bible tells you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, as Christ loved. Look, that's the unconditional love. That's the love that does right even when you're wronged. Man, he bristled and said, it can't mean that. I said, it does. <laughs> now, why did he say that? Well, that's beyond us humanly. It's beyond all of us humanly. But friends, we're not talking about human. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is supernatural. 
And friends, there are times when stuff happens, and if we can't access this, we're in trouble. You see, it's supernatural. Much more could be said. The next word is joy. Oh, what a word. Now, I remind us this is the fruit of the Spirit. So this is on the spirit level of our being. The other night we noted that that's called the new man where the Holy Spirit moves in, okay? It's that level where this is experienced. This is not the soul level. Unbelievers can experience a form of happiness on the soul level. We're not talking about this is deeper. This is joy, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's on the spirit level. It is something, therefore, that can be accessed even when you are in the valley. Praise the Lord for that. Then it says peace. Ah, the peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Again, it's supernatural. How many doctors have been baffled when they come in to give a patient bad news and they're expecting them to fall apart and the patient does not and they're at peace and there's even a radiance in, in the doctors and they don't understand. It's because it's supernatural. Then it says long-suffering. You say, what's that? It's the opposite of short-suffering. <laughs> now, we all know what short-suffering is, so long-suffering is the opposite of that. Well, I won't take time to detail all the words, but let me jump to the word temperance because this is a, this is a neat truth. It's a wonderful truth. Temperance, we often say, is... Uh, self-discipline or self-control. But wait a second, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Unsafe people can have self-discipline. I mean, there's some athletes that they've got it, I'm telling you. This is Spirit-energized self-discipline. And here's why that's neat. You may be here tonight, and for whatever reason, through wrong choices before you got saved or even wrong choices after you got saved, you sit here tonight with poor character, at least in compartments of your life. Here's the good news. When you access Jesus, the fruit of the spirit of Jesus is spirit-energized temperance, spirit-energized self-control. You access the character of Jesus. You know what that means? It means there's hope. Now, that's the plurality. We didn't detail all the words, but what's the singular? Did you notice verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit. Now, it is singular in the English, and it is singular in the original language. Now, again, we believe in verbal inspiration, do we not? There's a reason why it's singular. Now, often when I hear uh, people talk about this, they talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And I understand what they mean because we just talked about the plurality. But to get tactical, it does say fruit. It's singular. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And when there's love, there's joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance all at the same time. See, it's one fruit with all those manifestations simultaneously. So if you're thinking, wow, you know, I think I got this one, this one, and this one, and this one, but I need to work on this one, this one, and this one. You don't have any of them. What you think you have are imitations. Because when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have all. Because you're accessing Jesus. And his character is the whole, the whole gamut. He is love and therefore joy, peace, all the way to temperance, all at the same time, every time. And when you access him, all of that fruit is manifest. 
Now, I was in a meeting one time, and the pastor said to me, yeah, I was headed home last night after the service, after you dealt with that, and, and uh, it's kind of kind of quiet in the car, and my wife kind of said, I finally spoke up, and she said, so, it's all or nothing. I remember in a meeting out west, lady in a testimony time, she said, you know, I was one of those, I thought I had this, this, and this among uh, the graces there listed, and I realized, wait a second, I don't have even what I think I, or thought I had. Because if you think you have some, but you don't have the others, then, then that means what you think you have are the imitations, because when you have the real deal, it's all. Now, don't let that discourage you thinking, man, look what I don't have. No, look what you can have. <laughs> when you access Jesus, he's consistent. You're accessing his character. It's the fruit of the spirit of Jesus who's bringing that life from the throne right into your being, that life stream that we talked about the other night. And when that's real, there's love and joy and peace and long-suffering gentleness and, gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance all at the same time. Forgive me, you who are translating tonight for talking too fast. <laughs> now, friends, that's amazing, but it's wonderful. When you access Jesus, all of this, this is, this is his character. You access who he is. Amazing fruit. Amazing fruit. So it's a singular plurality. Secondly, we're dealing with a divine life. It is interesting to me, in verse 19, it talks about the works of the flesh, but then in the contrast, in verse 22, it doesn't say the works of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. Now, obviously, we know the Spirit works, and we can use that term in, in other contexts, but in this context, there's a reason why the contrast doesn't say works. It says fruit. It's emphasizing this is divine life. It's fruit. Now, I grew up in Chicago. I've been based out of Michigan since 98. But I grew up in Chicago and uh, went to public school on the south side of Chicago before Christian schools uh, started and, and so forth. You know, and I thought fruit came from the, from the grocery store. Now, I mean, I knew it didn't, but that's the only place I saw it. Because, you know, in Chicago, there's, there's no orchards <laughs> and uh, fields and, you know, it's, it's cement and, and whatever. And, you know, as I began to travel, it, uh, it was, it's been really fun over these years uh, to see across the country the fruit. The orchards of Michigan. Uh, we just were in California a few weeks ago and the almond trees were in blossom. So all these just field upon field of gorgeous pink and white blossoms uh, with the almonds. We've been there in the summertime when the grapes are just, you know, just just laden on those vines and uh, just, you know, just fruit. And, and for me, it's fascinating just, just to see it. I remember when I was in a meeting years ago in, in uh, Florida and I was parked across the street uh, from an orange grove. Wow, you know, I'm not used to being around an orange grove, you know. <laughs> and uh, wow, I stood there and I just watched the oranges grow. <laughs> I remember just standing there being fascinated with these big old, just, I mean, beautiful. I mean, I mean, they look like they were, you know, as, as beautiful as the ones in the grocery store. I guess, you know, that's where they came from. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm watching this. I know it sounds funny, but I was. And do you know, as I stood there, I didn't hear any grunting. <laughs> I didn't hear any groaning, any agonizing and toiling. No, it's fruit. 
the fruit of the Spirit. See, his life, it just grows. Beautiful. See, Jesus Christ is the source of this divine life. Do you know that Jesus is called the eternal life? 1 John 1, 2 and 5, 20. Eternal life is not something. Eternal life is someone. And when that life is accessed, it bursts forth as the abundant life. John 10, 10. Life! You see, the flesh can't do this. The flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. All the flesh can do is imitate. Now, I've seen, you know, in places like Pier 1 Imports, if it's still open these days, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I've seen some pairs that, wow, those look real. But they're not. <laughs> they're imitations. Now, friends, the flesh can imitate. But the spirit for life is not imitation. It's impartation. It's the spirit of Jesus in you, imparting the life of Jesus to you. And when there's life, there's fruit. You see, that's what we're talking about here. There's a divine source, a divine life. The life of the spirit produces the fruit of the spirit. That is, spiritual fruit demands a spiritual root. We could say it this way, the root of the spirit produces the fruit of the spirit. In other words, this is not something you and I do through mere human self-effort works. It is something we allow God to produce through that faith response. And faith is not a human work. It just trusts God and then God moves. And so that's what we're talking about. We're letting God do what only he can do through the cooperation of faith, which is one step at a time as we're going to see. It's a walk. Number three. What we're dealing with is an overcoming positive. We see the works of the flesh spelled out. There's all the impurities of the moral sins and the stuff that leads up to it and then the religious sins, the relationship sins, the social sins. So it's interesting that it doesn't just flip that and say be moral. That's what the world does in their religions if they're moralistic. But that's not what this says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> but friends, when you access Jesus, you're moral. Because love fulfills the law. That was verse 14. Oh. You see, it's an overcoming positive. But sometimes we get it backward and say, well, if I can just suppress the flesh over here and if I can just be moral over here and be kind over here and so forth, and you're missing that, wait a second, you, know, you just access Jesus and when you do, his life overcomes. There's the difference. Again, verse 16, walk in the spirit and, we shall not, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we come to that and we often think, okay, if I can just somehow uh, suppress the flesh, I must be walking in the spirit. Not necessarily. Because the flesh can imitate, but it's only an imitation. It's only the form of godliness that denies the power, the life thereof. Ah. However, when you walk in the Spirit, you access the life of Jesus, and he is the overcoming life, and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's not a matter of self-effort suppression. It's a matter of accessing Jesus who counteracts and overcomes. See, it's an overcoming positive. 
And that, often we get it backwards. That's why I've emphasized from Sunday all throughout this week, the focus has to be on Jesus. Why? He is the holy life himself. And whatever or whoever you focus on, that's who or what you depend on. Looking unto Jesus, right focus, the author of faith, right dependence. Looking unto something other than Jesus, as good as it may be, it's a wrong focus. And that wrong focus leads to a wrong dependence, and you're back to self trying to make it all happen. Now, friends, God stirred me years ago for the need of holiness. And tragically, I focused on holiness. <laughs> and when you focus on holiness, it evades you. Because that's focusing on it as if that's better than Jesus. I'm going to tell you, nothing's better than Jesus. But you focus on Jesus and thus depend on him. You access him, and when you access him, you access the holy life himself. Friends, you know what holiness is? It's Jesus. Lived out through your personality and the fruit of Jesus' love and joy and peace. All of these graces, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, now, temperance will include some of those things that will affect what we call externals. But it's just one piece. And see, I was all about just, you know, doing the externals at the beginning, and I missed the real life of Jesus. Now, when you access Jesus, then it comes out, right, because he never leads you to sin. But until you access Jesus, you don't have holiness. You have imitation. He's the holy one. It's his holy nature that got implanted into you. Thus, you are a saint, as we've been emphasizing. That's where the Holy Spirit to move in, to lead and empower from that turf, that beachhead inside of you, to impart to you the holy life of Jesus. And friends, when you access Jesus, there's love and joy all the way to temperance. That's holiness. And there are those that so focus on the externals that they miss out on the other things and they're mean and they're cantankerous and they're condescending. I'm going to tell you, that's unholy. But when you access Jesus, there's holiness. And by the way, you live right. So it's not relativism. It's just that the focus is on the person. Now, friends, what, a, what an amazing truth. It's what we dealt with Sunday night. You know, if you're focusing on the list of do's and don'ts, now please, again, don't misunderstand me. There are things we should do and things we should not do. I understand that. But that can't be the focus. You've got to focus on Jesus. And when you do, then you do the right things and you don't do the things you should not do. But now it's a matter of relationship with the person. You see, when that shifts from that wrong focus to the person focus of Jesus himself, then you move from a prison of don'ts to the freedom of won'ts. Amen. You see, when you access Jesus, you won't do certain things. But it's not this prison that we've built around. No, it's Jesus. Now, friends, a lot of times we just we, we put ourselves in a monastery. We have kind of a, a monastic style sanctification and our dependence is on those walls. Now, look, sooner or later, life's going to take you outside the monastery. And if your dependence is only on the walls, you're in trouble. You've got to get your dependence on Jesus because he goes with us <laughs> and he leads us. And he may lead us, yes, you need this standard in your life and you need that standard in your life. When that's the case, do it because now your dependence is on him instead of the monastery.
There's a difference. You see, it's when he's the leader. It's when he is the power source, as we talked about last night. Now there's a relationship with a person. Now it's liberating instead of binding. And you live right. Wow. You know, think of it this way. A criminal may be kept from acts of crime by being put behind bars. That's why they're put behind bars. But a changed heart walks in love and is free from the acts of crime without being behind bars. See, that moves from the prison of don'ts to the freedom of won'ts. There's an illustration of it. When I was a little boy, we moved to Chicago in 1966. I was four years of age. There was a man in our church by the name of George Mensick. I remember him. In fact, the first funeral I ever attended was his funeral when I was in the second grade. George Mensick had been in Al Capone's gang. And, uh, you know, he did what gangsters do. His signature was to stuff bodies down manholes. Now, in those days, they didn't just kill anybody. They, they killed only members of other gangs. Not that that makes it right, but nonetheless. Gangster. Chicago. Well, his wife got saved. Then his daughter got saved. And that story alone is phenomenal. But then they prayed for him. And I'm going to tell you, when George Mensick got saved, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, he realized, wow, uh, you know, I can't do some of the things I'm doing. <laughs> so he goes to the, you know, to the leaders in the gang, and he asks that his jobs be changed. <laughs> no more bodies down the manholes. <laughs> then he discovered there wasn't any job he could do. <laughs> and he realized he was going to have to leave the gang, and he left the gang, and they let him. He was so changed they knew, well, he's, he's not going to be a problem to us. Initially, he got a job sweeping streets in Chicago, and the cronies would come up in the black limousines, and they'd roll down the windows and wave the wads of $100 bills in his face and say, hey, George, anytime you want to come back, man, come on back. And he'd wave them on. Certain sins he got, uh, habits he got over immediately, certain addictions. Heroin took two years to get off of, but he got off of that. He continued to grow in the Lord. As he continued to grow in the Lord, he began to sense the call of God on his life to preach the gospel primarily to people behind bars. That was his burden because of his former life of crime. Well, how is a guy that used to be in Capone's gang that has a record ever going to be allowed to come close to a jail in Chicago? You know, he was so transformed, so radically altered that the Chicago Police Department threw away his record and gave him access to preach the gospel. He led hundreds of people to Christ. 26 men who got saved behind bars later became preachers to the ministry of George Mensick. A classic example of what happens when somebody's changed from the inside out and now they're walking in love and they're free from the acts of crime. Not by being put behind bars, but by Jesus being put in him and accessed. You see, that's what we're talking about. It's beautiful, the overcoming positive from the overcoming life of Jesus himself. Number four, what we're dealing with is a present fact. Now, I love this. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, what's the next word? Is. This is what I alluded to a moment ago with the book, The Faith Response. There's a difference between a fact and a promise. 
The old writers that I was reading in the 90s said, you got to know the difference between a fact and a promise. And I'm scratching my head thinking, what in the world are they talking about? And then God used an author by the name of uh, uh, Evan Hopkins to open my understanding to this truth. The facts are what is already there, is. The promises are the will-be's and the shall-be's. So most of it's easy to find just because of the future tense versus the present tense. Some of it uh, uh, is a uh, uh, little veiled in how things are worded. But the bottom line is the promises are the will-be's and the shall-be's, which means they're potentialities. And according to Hebrews 11.33, they can be obtained. They're not automatic, but they can be obtained through faith. That's a marvelous truth in and of itself. But facts are already there. Do you know you don't have to ask for what is, and if you do, it means you don't believe it is. <laughs> Whoa, how about this? My grace is. Christ lives in me, that's present tense. Christ is living in me. You see, if you ask him to, it means you don't believe he's already there. Now, God's patient with us and says, you know, You've been asking, but, you know, the provision is already there, so you might as well just take it. But, you know, you can save a lot of time if you get this. <laughs> and sometimes that matters. How about when you need love? When somebody's being obnoxious right in front of your face. You don't have time for a 30-minute prayer vigil to obtain a promise. But thankfully, the fruit of Jesus is right now available. Why? Because he's already living in you. Take him. See, thanks be to God who is giving us the victory, Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. So if he is giving, we have the privilege to be taking. Now it is by faith. You've got to take. You see, if you just act on your own, that's the imitation attempt. But when you take Jesus and now you act, now the Spirit imparts to you the life of Jesus. And now there's that supernatural energy from the inside out so that when you act, it's not self-dependent imitation, it's God-dependent, Spirit-energized impartation. What a difference. You know, when you need patience, Ironically, you need it now. <laughs> and when you access Jesus, he's long-suffering. See, take, take in that moment when the trigger is in front of you. And you say, yeah, but I already feel all this pull the other way. That's not you. That's that sin master, but you got cut from him. You're raised a new man, joined to Jesus, reject that, take Jesus. And there's a supernatural lift that energizes you with his patience. That's how it works. And so a present fact is learn to take. Thank you, Lord. And then act on it. Number five, what we're dealing with is a simple walk. We come back to that question. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, let's just shorten the question for a moment. What does it mean to walk? Walking is reiterated steps. Oh, that's pretty basic. <laughs> that's deep. Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> 
Walking in the Spirit, then, is reiterated steps in the Spirit. Okay, that's a help, but what are those steps? Well, Colossians 2.6 makes this so bottom shelf. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ? It was by grace through faith. It was the take. You took Jesus as your Savior. Okay. You trusted. You depended. You took. Okay. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So how do you walk in him? How do you walk in the Spirit? It's the same way you received. It's a choice of faith. It's a choice of taking him. Thus trusting, thus depending. Ah, and just like you received him, now walk in him. See, the reception, there's no movement. The walking, there's the step. See, it's the taking so there can be the action. It's not just you attempting it on your own. That's self-dependence. It's as you received. You take, Lord, thank you. And now when you act, there's a supernatural lift. We live in a wicked world. There's triggers to thinking purely all the time. And you know what? Jesus knows how to navigate it. He's not thrown by any of it. There was wicked stuff in his day. And we can take him. And friends, when you do, let's say here's a billboard and here's you know, something vile, and you take Jesus, you know what he does? He frees you to look the other way. So take and act. He frees you to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. Now, in the flesh, you can say, oh, that's bad. Look this way, and your neck goes this way. while well, your heart stays that way. And every man in this room knows what I'm talking about. But friends, when you take, thank you, Lord, you're free to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. Friends, that means you can go through the marketplace and the workplace where, yeah, there's some junk out there, but come out unscathed when you have Jesus doing the navigating. See, that's why the relationship is so important. Because if you're not in tune with him and that relationship and, and, and that loving Jesus, you know what happens? Then when the sin stuff comes, you don't want Jesus. But see, when you're in tune with him, then you don't want anything to get in the way of that relationship. You see, it's a walk. But it's the walk of faith. Now, what's interesting here both in verse 16 and in verse 25, when it says walk in the Spirit, we have an interesting grammatical point that can be made. The little word the, we call it the definite article before the name Spirit is, uh, is interesting because when the definite article is included before a, a person or a personification, it's emphasizing the person. For example, in verse 17, when it says, for the flesh, lust against the Spirit, the definite article is there emphasizing the person or the personification of the flesh there, really emphasizing the sin master indwelling sin that we talked about the other night. But when that definite article is absent, it emphasizes the quality of the person name, the, the, the sphere, the ministry of the person name. Now, it's, in English, it's there every time because it would sound funny without it. So it's rightly rendered. But we believe in verbal inspiration, do we not? And there's a reason why, especially in the very same context, sometimes that definite article is there, like in verse 17, and sometimes it's not there, like in verse 16 and in verse 25. It's walk in spirit. Walk in the sphere, the provision, the ministry, the operation, the leadership, and the power of the spirit. Oh, wow. 
That's fascinating. So it's emphasizing his quality, his all that he's about. But then it gets really specific because the word walk in verse 16 and the word walk in verse 25 are not the same. Isn't it neat? You know, uh, the Lord knows what he's doing. They're obviously synonyms. But the word walk in verse 16 is the word that means walk about or conduct oneself. Conduct, conduct. So there it's emphasizing those steps of faith, those steps of dependence and the power of the Spirit to enable you in your conduct. But in verse 25, it's the word keep in step with, keep in line with. Just like in the marching band, or you folks know this better than I here in this part of the woods, in the military marching, they're in step with the leader. Ah, so verse 25 puts the focus right on the leader. See, there's the key. Keep in step with Jesus, and when you do, he empowers you for the conduct. Remember what we saw last night? Not my will, see who's in charge, not my ability, what power source, there it is. Verse 25 is talking about who's in charge, who are you in step with, is it just your own whatever, is it somebody else's whim and their desire, or is it really Jesus? And verse 16 is talking about the power source. And so the whole idea is that when you look unto Jesus and you're in step with Jesus, when you look unto Jesus, he authors faith and you're in that sphere of Jesus. You're walking in the sphere of the spirit of Jesus and he empowers you to obey his will. And friends, just like the song says, trust and obey, that's how. When you understand, you're taking, you're trusting Jesus, his leadership. And he empowers you to obey. And now there is right conduct. Now I said we come back to verse 18. Let's do it. But if ye be led by the Spirit, of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now what do we do with this? I mean, it's funny because I've done it myself in years gone by. I've heard other preachers do the same thing that I used to do. Now we're not under the law, but, you know, well, I guess we really are. Uh, and so, you know, we don't know how to deal with this. And then we go to the Ten Commandments and we don't, know what to, we, don't, we, we don't know what to do with the Sabbath, so we chuck that one and then we kind of replace it with tithing or whatever. <laughs> we really do. In other words, we say we're not under the law, but then we go back to acting like we are. And Galatians says, this is our text, Galatians chapter 3, if you're going to go the law route, you have to do the whole thing. That's what it says in Galatians 3.10. All of it. If you're going to go the law route, it's got to be all. Well, now we're going to be messed up because, you know, what about those laws back there in Leviticus about clothes that have more than one kind of fabric or thread or whatever in them? <laughs> well, then what does it mean not under the law? I mean, you go out and do what you want to? doesn't say that. You do what he wants. If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, all it's simply saying, and again, this is military turf. You understand this. You can only be under one leader at a time. So if the law is your leader, your focus, your goal, then you're under that law, which means you're missing out on Jesus. But when you're under the spirit of Jesus, you're not under the law. You can only be under one boss at a time. Does that make sense? That's the wording. 
When you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, it's what Galatians 4, 6 is saying. The Holy Spirit has moved in. Yes, the law is a tutor to, to bring you to Christ. Why? Because it shows you how much you failed. You need Jesus. And then it says, when faith has come, you're not under that tutor anymore because the Holy Spirit has moved in. You've got a real leader. You've got a person who moved in. God moved into you. And when you are under his leadership because you're focused on him, he's the goal. Well, then you're not under the law. But never fear. It doesn't mean you'll live wild because remember what we saw up in verse 14, was it? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love. Now, remember, when you're under the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And according to verse 14, love fulfills the law. There it is. You see, when you focus on Jesus, when you're yielded to his leadership, he's in charge and his ability, his power source, the fruit of him is love. And when there's love, you do right. You focus on doing right, you'll do wrong. You focus on Jesus, you'll do right. <laughs> wow, there it is. So we're dealing with a simple walk. It's one step at a time. And so... Throughout a given day, you know, you start with the Lord and there's that relationship and then you just go. And uh, you're walking in the sphere of the Spirit. It's not like you have to have all this conscious stuff, you know, every, every second. No, you go forward and if you're going to make a wrong choice, he'll check your spirit. And if you mind the check, you stay in the walk. If you don't mind the check, now you need to walk in the light. We talked about that Sunday morning. <laughs> but when you're walking in the Spirit, he'll check you if you're about to misstep. And so on. And sometimes there's a new need. And so there's a new taking and a new empowering. That's how it works. One step at a time. And that brings us to number six. It's a spiritual service. I love this. Verse 22 says the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 13 at the end says, but by love serve. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, but by love serve. So it is the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual by love serve. It's a spirit service. It's a spirit energized service. It's spiritual service. See, spirituality is not just a, a set of things that look good. You can do that and be unsaved. And unsaved people aren't spiritual because they don't even have the Holy Spirit. True spirituality is when you're rightly related to the Spirit. When you're walking in him, his leadership, him, his ability. Okay, and friends, when that's real, then that fruit is manifest and by love serve. See, that's spiritual service because you're rightly related to the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's neat about this. When you access Jesus, the fruit of Jesus is manifest. The fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love and there's joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All at that same time. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's take the matter of patience, long-suffering. Especially for those of you that have a hard time with that. And by the way, I understand that. I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. One of my sisters is with the Lord. I miss her greatly. But uh, growing up, I'm number four out of the lineup of five. Dad used to say, you know, John has the worst temper. Man, that would make me so mad. <laughs> so I understand this, <laughs> this, this need for long-suffering thing. Okay, <laughs> you know, when you actually access Jesus and there's that supernatural lift and a, a patience flows out of you, that soft answer that turns away wrath, not gritting your teeth, thinking, oh, man, that was really victory. No, 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 that's just you gritting your teeth. Real victory is when you access Jesus and don't want to lash back out. And there is a soft answer that turns away wrath. Okay, so when you experience that 
patience that you know is supernatural. Isn't it a blessing to you? It sure is. But you know who really gets blessed? Everyone around you. Service. You see, when there's love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and goodness and all, all that's there. Yes, it's a blessing to us when we're temperate when normally we weren't and we're patient and normally we weren't and so on. Yes, it's a blessing, but it's a greater blessing to those around us. They get to eat the fruit. They're touched by Jesus. They're blessed by this fruit of Jesus. That service. I remember my dear friend David O'Gorman telling me one time, he was with my dad at an airport. He said, you know, I didn't know your dad at all at that time. He said, but we got to spend two hours together. He said, I don't even remember what he said. I, he said, I just remember that I was never the same. Now, let me just say this. My dad can't do that, but Jesus can. You get Jesus flowing out of us. Back to the glow. There's a different analogy here. It's the fruit. Okay, when there's Jesus then there's service. People are being nourished and uh, they're being touched by the eternal, abundant life himself. That brings us to the final clarification. There's a necessary prerequisite. We see it in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, that is, if we've been made alive, if we've been born of the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Look, you cannot walk in the Spirit if you have not been born of the Spirit. Now, friends, I've emphasized this week accessing the Spirit for the believer. But you can't do that unless you have the Spirit. Now, if you have the Spirit and you've ignored Him, then you just need revival, life again. But if you don't, if you've never been made alive, if you've never been born again, then you need to be born again. Jesus said it, you must be born again. And He told us how. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, not just about him, but in him, trusting him alone, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And eternal life is not something, it's someone. You see, salvation is not just getting you to heaven, it's getting Jesus into you. And when Jesus moves into you, okay, here it is. If we've been made alive, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit, which means the walk is not automatic. Don't buy the deception that Christian growth just automatically, progressively happens. No, there's progress when there's faith and there's hindrance when there's unbelief. And so it says, if we've been made alive, let us also walk in the Spirit. Access the God who moved in. So when you walk in the Spirit, you access the fruit of the Spirit. You access Jesus and therefore His character you know, where there's tension between a husband and wife, wouldn't this make a difference? If the fruit of Jesus is there, oh, wow. Even if just one spouse began to walk in the Spirit. What a difference. Parents with children. You know what children need more than anything? They need to grow up with Jesus. You know, my parents were not perfect. They were willing to humble themselves and apologize and so on. But I'm going to tell you, there was enough of Jesus around that you know he's real. It's hard to walk away when you know he's real. You know, here at church, on any given service like we are in tonight, some may be at a high point, some may be at a low point. And I'm going to tell you, 
those who come in low, but came because they knew this was the right thing to do, and they're here. You know what? They need somebody who's got the fruit <laughs> there to eat. In other words, there's something about the body life. And you come and you're a bit down and discouraged and you've got this trial going on and here's someone and the fruit of Jesus is right there and you're touched and anytime you're touched by Jesus, you're helped. And in the body life of the local assembly, it's critical that obviously not everybody's, uh, you know, flying on the mountain, you know, every, every moment, but you, you got to have some that are, that are there where Jesus is flowing. Radical difference. You know, in your workplace, you may have a nasty boss, you may have some coworkers that are kind of hard to take, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to make a difference, don't you think, if Jesus comes into the workplace? That's what we're talking about. Friends, this is not a matter of us trying to do this, No. Apart from our provision, we're weak and will always be weak. I remember when that thought sunk in, that apart from my provision in Jesus, I am weak and will always be weak this side of heaven. But Jesus is strong and he will always be strong. And friends, when you walk in Jesus, when you walk in the Spirit, when you genuinely take his leadership and therefore his power kicks in, then the fruit of the Spirit is manifest and Jesus touches those around you and the eternal life of Jesus brings eternity right into the courts of time to make that radical eternal difference in people's lives. That's the fruitful walk. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.